0: Um, You can uh, find the scripture uh, in a pew Bible, or it will be projected behind me. If you brought your own Bible, Bible app, all those are good. I'll be reading it, and I just want to warn you, this is a challenging passage. We've been going through the entire Gospel of Mark. Uh, We're not going to shy away from the hard passages, so this is is a tough one today. Uh, But we believe that God can still speak to us, and uh, we'll we'll do the best we can. (laughs) So again, it's Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 27, and uh, we ask that uh, the Holy Spirit may be with the reading of this word today. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, "'See that no one leads you astray. "'Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, "'and they will lead many astray. "'And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, "'do not be alarmed. "'This must take place, but the end is not yet. "'For nation will rise against nation "'and kingdom against kingdom. "'There will be earthquakes in various places. "'There will be famines. "'These are but the beginning of the birth pains.'" And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then though, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation, as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth and, for, and to the ends of heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Today's message is called The Coming of the Lord. There is a lot of language here that makes us think of this event that has been popularized in culture, uh, the the second coming of Christ. We have all kinds of imagery around this. And and I want to to say humbly, I think a lot of um, kind of sensational images and maybe not the most accurate teaching. I want to just say from up front, I don't know everything. (laughs) And and what I'm going to share with you is a a good faith attempt to try to understand this passage. But I will say this, I don't understand it all. There is mystery in here. And so, friends, uh, uh, you know, I will try to let you know the things that I don't know for sure. Uh, we'll try to do our best. I do think there are things that can be gleaned. I do think it is important for us to go through the entire gospel of Mark, as we have been, and not skipping things, not being afraid of what it says in there. But today, I'm going to be giving you some historical context to maybe show you when we don't take the historical context uh, into account, We can do all kinds of crazy things with scripture. (laughs) And the historical account, although it may not explain everything, I think will give you a better grounding for what this passage is talking about. Because you may have been thinking as we were reading it, what in the world does this mean? Right? This is so out there. And it's so out there that people have just let their imaginations run wild. And so we want to try to ground this a little bit in what we know, about the context of what Jesus was talking about. And so I just want to acknowledge that sometimes we have images like this of the second coming, of Jesus coming in clouds with angels, as it mentions here. And it's very spectacular and glorious and that, that you know, it's like bright and shining and all this stuff. And so I just want to acknowledge that some of that imagery is out there. Um, maybe some of you have heard these things, but let's take a closer look at what it actually says in the context of what it's talking about here and and i do believe that this can have impact for us so friends did you ever want to have an explanation for this passage is one of the questions i get oftentimes people will ask me pastor steve what is the abomination of desolation that just sounds crazy right the abomination of desolation sounds like a marvel villain i am thanos the the abomination of desolation oh that sounds crazy right Uh, It is not a Marvel villain. (laughs) It is a scriptural reference, and we think it was actually uh, a historical event. And I'll explain that in a moment. But let's just dive in here. Uh, It says that uh, they were, this is the context, they were coming to the temple And the disciples were so impressed with the temple. They're looking at the temple. They're like, look, teacher, man, it doesn't get better than this. Look at this wonderful temple, these wonderful stones, these wonderful buildings. I'm sure this is going to last forever. When the kingdom comes in power, we're going to be here in this beautiful building. Maybe this will be like the new palace, right? That kind of makes sense. The temple seems like it would be the palace for God in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says something surprising. He says, you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This would have been shocking. It would have felt like the end of the world to hear this kind of thing, right? I mean, the temple meant so much to the people of Israel, to the, 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 the Jews. And that for them, you know, this would have been very disconcerting and very dissonant with what they believe was going to happen with the coming of the kingdom of God. They're like, oh my gosh, this must be the, the, just the end of an era, right? And so Peter and James and John and Andrew, they, they uh, you know, in private asked Jesus, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, friends, this is where it's really important to understand history. So we might think that this is some apocalyptic event, which maybe hasn't happened yet. But what we know is that in uh, 70 CE, or what sometimes people call AD, was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Now, just to give you a little bit of the context, there was a revolt in Judea against the Roman government. A lot of it was about taxation and about the control that the Roman government had. But remember, we talked about zealots. We talked about what they thought the kingdom of God was. This is what the people wanted. They wanted to overthrow Rome, right? And so there was a great uprising that started in CE 66, I just told you, the temple wasn't destroyed until CE 70. So what does that tell you? That tells you that there was a long amount of time in between when the revolt began and when the Romans actually destroyed the temple. And it took them a couple years, like two or three years for the Roman uh, uh, forces to arrive in full. That's important, right? So what might happen during that time? Now, why did it take so long, by the way? Why did it take so long? They didn't have cars back then. They didn't have planes, right? They couldn't, you know, just paratroop them in, right? They had to walk. They had to march. So it took a long time for uh, the Roman forces to get there, a couple years. Now, if you started a revolt and there are some soldiers stationed there, right? What do you think the soldiers are telling them? Oh, man, you guys are going to get it. You're going to get it. We're going to come and we're going to destroy you. You're going to get wrecked. And what do you think the people who are starting this revolt are doing? They're spreading rumors. They're gossiping. Oh my gosh, the Romans are coming. They're coming. They're coming. And it's like three years of this, right? All the rumors, all the waiting, right? This is going to sound a lot like what we hear in this very scripture. So let's take a look. So Jesus said to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, this was called the first Jewish war, lasted from 66 CE to 73 CE. This was not just an overnight affair. It was not just a a real quick revolt. It lasted seven to eight years, right? This is a long amount of time. So the rumors of wars, wars, could be that this is what they're talking about. Do not be alarmed when you hear the people whispering about this, about to go down. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Now this we usually think of, the end is near. We think about the apocalypse, the end of times. In scripture, it talks about eras, right? The ends of ages. There are many different ages. The ends of, of the temple may symbolize an age. Now, I don't know for sure. Maybe this could be a longer age, the ends of humanity as we know it. I don't know that. But friends, remember the context. They're asking Jesus when the temple is going to be destroyed. And we know exactly when that happened. 70 CE. Not like, oh my gosh, it's still coming. It's still coming. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe there is something coming. But at least in this scripture, It seems to me that what Jesus is talking about is the destruction of the Jewish temple, right? So uh, it says, uh, this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's exactly what is happening here. There is an uprising of the Jewish nation against Rome. Nation against nation, right? Kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, this sounds more apocalyptic. Earthquakes and famines, I don't know. I don't know what happened back then. We don't have almanacs that tell us, right? Could this be symbolism for, for you know, just a way of saying greater suffering? Could this be foretelling a greater apocalyptic event in the future? It could. I don't know for sure. And that's one I definitely have to chalk up to really not knowing. But let's go on. It says, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And friends, this is something that happened, that Christians were seen as traitors to both the, the Jewish people and to Rome. They were very largely persecuted in the years that led up to even before the great rebellion, the great uprising in Jerusalem. A lot of Christians were killed and dragged before councils. This very thing happened. Um, And it says the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And that when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, by the way, that was uh, Jesus's uh, parting words, right, in, in the Gospels, the Great Commission. You need to go and spread the Gospel to all nations. So the disciples did that. Paul and some of these other apostles, they went out, and they were trying to bring the Gospel to all the nations. And that happened before the events in uh, 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 66 and on. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I think this is really important, friends. Now, maybe you won't be given to trial, (laughs) right, to testify, and your very life will be at stake. But I think in the midst of this, there is a message that says, don't worry, friends. When you go through all this, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. You're going to go through suffering, right? And I think that's a universal message, you know, and a lot of us fear that. And a lot of us, we think, well, God, you're supposed to protect us from this. And I think part of the message here is Jesus saying, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And don't worry, it does not thwart my plans. The scheming of nations, nations rising up against each other, wars, armies, persecutions, none of that undoes my will. And when you're standing there and all these powerful people are asking you questions, and they're like, oh my gosh, we have the power to kill you, to end you. Jesus says, you do not need to be afraid. My Holy Spirit will be with you. I can give you peace in the midst of that. I will give you what you need in that moment. That that, That is very comforting to me. Maybe my sufferings in life will not be as severe as some great uprising and upheaval of nations. But friends, if the Holy Spirit can be with you in those moments, I think he can be with you in any moment, right? In the turmoil, the upheaval that goes through in your life, the loss of a job, the loss of a family member, the kinds of struggles we go through, depression and anxiety and fear, all of these things. Because friends, the human experience is that suffering looks like suffering to us. We may look at certain sufferings and say, oh, those are so much worse. Objectively, those are so much worse. Maybe. But the way your body processes stress is the same, right? Did you know that? Mental stress, physical stress, it's the same. And so when you are stressed about a test, or you're stressed about something happening at work, or maybe just some existential anxiety in your life, that feels the same as a physical threat. If a car were about to hit you, the way your body processes that. You hear about a rumor of war. Oh my gosh, North Korea, what are they going to do? Oh my gosh, what is going to happen? What is going like, to like What if we get bombed or all these things? Your body processes that stress the same. And so what Jesus is trying to tell us is applicable in our lives now. Right? I will be with you. Do not be anxious what you are going to say. Don't worry. I'll be with you. And and it gets worse, at least for the people here. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Friends, I didn't pick this passage. We've just been reading in order, so sorry. I know it's Mother's Day, talking about children <laughs> rising up against parents. Sorry, it's just it's just there. I couldn't avoid it. That's just how it fell. Uh, You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now he, this is. Uh, the verse that gets us all twisted uh, with this weird phrase. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, friends, there's a few things going on here. One thing you will notice, and maybe this is a question. You're like, Pastor Steve, if they met Rome, why don't they just say Rome? When the Bible was written, who's still in control? The Romans. You don't want to call out the Romans, right? And be like, oh, Romans, Romans, horrible, horrible. And get caught with the Bible in your hands, right? Get caught with scripture. And so a lot of things were written in code, right? And so this is one of those things. Look at this. When it says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. Now, that's a weird phrase, And so we have this in parentheses. Let the reader understand. What is this? This is the writer of the gospel winking at us, like, let the reader understand, okay? What are we talking about here, guys? And what this is is a reference to Daniel. In Daniel, there was something called the abomination of desolation. What historians think this was, where When the Greeks were coming in, and yes, Judea just got ravaged over and over. There were a lot of issues. And there was a time after Daniel where um, the, 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 the Greek powers came in, and they ravaged the temple. And they did all kinds of things to desecrate it, to mock the Jewish people. They took pig's flesh and smeared it all over the altar. was horrible, right? They set up brothels for temple prostitution in the temple courts. Now, if you're a Jewish person and you have this great reverence for God, oh my goodness, wouldn't that be like the greatest insult? It's an abomination to them, right? And so something very, very similar happens, that when they destroy the temple... Um, the emperor Hadrian, and I can't help but think this, this is going to date me, but I just kept saying while I was preparing this message, Hadrian! anyone know that reference, Rocky? Some of you are old like me. No? No? Hadrian? No? Okay. Anyways, his name was Hadrian with an H, and Hadrian um, ordered that the temple be destroyed, and they erect a Roman temple in its place. And they put two statues, one to Jupiter and one of the Emperor Hadrian himself on the Temple Mount, where the temple used to be. Could it be that that is the abomination of desolation? Maybe they're talking about the Emperor Hadrian. Now, I don't know for sure, friends, but that seems to be very similar to what the Greeks did in Daniel's day, right? The thing that they were warning about back then, and now a very similar thing is happening. They are desecrating the holy place of the temple, right? And so that the, the gospel writer is like, hey, you'll know it when it happens, okay? Let the reader understand. When you see that, run for the hills. Run away because it's going to get worse. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down not enter his house to take anything out and let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. This sounds horrible what happened. This is not just some friendly revolt. I don't know that any revolts are friendly, but when the Roman troops got there, it was a slaughter. A lot of people died. A lot of people were tortured and killed in very, very gruesome ways. Oh my gosh, the Romans. They wanted to make an example. Yo, if any of you, any other nation out there is thinking about revolting against us, look at what we're going to do to these Jews right here. And so here's a picture. Uh, This is a painting of the destruction of um, the, the Jerusalem temple. And I know this is just an artist's rendition, but I think that this gives you a little sense of how chaotic it might've been right? With soldiers in there, people falling from the ceiling, fire, and just chaos. Can you imagine? Right? I mean, this sounds very, very much like what Jesus was talking about. And then, um, uh, by the way, uh, just to kind of show you a little bit context, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, they also talk about the abomination of desolation. In the Gospel of Luke, in a very similar passage to this one, they talk about very similar things. And they use the word desolation, but they don't use the word abomination. Instead, they say this. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Right? So, And then it ends with talking about the actual fall, the trampling underfoot of Jerusalem. That's what happened during this time, right? And so it, it, it says, uh, uh, and, and by the way, friends, uh, there is this other strain here, this idea of Jesus, uh, of the Christ coming in this. It says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the day. So there seems to be this implication that God is doing his best to shorten the amount of time that this suffering is going to happen. No, God isn't just trying to be cruel, right? He's not saying, oh my gosh, like this is a great thing that's happening. And he even says that, I hope it doesn't happen during winter. He says, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Look, there he is. Do not believe it for false christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the elect but on guard but be on guard i have told you all things beforehand so what's happening here it seems like during this time in this chaos that maybe some people are trying to latch onto hope they're trying to latch onto a leader oh we need a christ to lead us now, remember, this isn't just a Christian rebellion. This is the people of, uh, of Judea, right? All the Jews rising up against Rome, right? And so a lot of them would not have believed that Jesus was the Christ. So they would have been waiting for their own Messiah to come. And so maybe some people are like, hey, follow me. I know what to do. I know how to overcome these uh, uh, Romans, right? Come believe in me. And friends, in times of fear, in darkness, I don't want to get too political here, but a lot of us, we latch onto leaders for our hope. Mm, This person is going to make Judea great again. I mean, draw your own conclusions about what that means, right? He's going to make us safe, right? He's going to erect walls to keep the invaders out. Those people are going to hurt us and harm us. And Jesus is saying, do not be deceived. Now, I'm not calling any leader an antichrist. I'm not using those words. But all I'm trying to say, and I think what Jesus, the point is he's trying to make, is be careful of trying to trust in human authority to be your your, your salvation. Humans can't save you. You want that. You want to believe in some institution. And by the way, it doesn't matter what extreme of the political spectrum you fall on or, or anywhere in between. Anywhere in this gamut, you put your faith in human beings and human beings, I mean, we're we're fallen and we're sinful and we may try and we may think we're doing the right thing, but none of us will be sufficient to save this world, right? Right? And that is, I think, the warning about these Christs. I know we get so caught up in the word Christ. We think antichrist and second coming. But just think of what would have been going on for the Jewish people. They're like, we need the Messiah now. We need the Messiah. They're looking for a human savior. And Jesus is saying, it's not going to come. Now this part, I just want to recognize. I don't know entirely what this means. I was reading William Barclay's commentary on this. And he thinks that a lot of this is symbolic. Right? But we get really caught up with this. We look at this and we're like, mm, no, this is literal. <laughs> but uh, let's just read it. Let's take a look. It says, in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will be will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And when and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, I know that sounds very apocalyptic, but one thing to consider is that it says that this generation will not pass away until this happens. In other words, some of you will still be alive when this happens. That's this a strong clue that maybe this isn't talking about the second coming. There are other mentions of a second coming of Jesus. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I don't believe in that. I'm not saying that scripture doesn't back that up. But what I'm saying is it may not be in this passage. Or... It could be that everything I just told you, the destruction of Jerusalem, all this stuff is what they are portending to, but there's also a greater event that is coming in the future. Maybe, I don't know for sure, but this is what I know. This event is very dark. Literally, it's dark, right? Look at it. It says that, um, it it tells us that um, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Sun, moon, and stars, all dark. To me, I I believe that this is symbolic. This is Jesus's way of saying, there will be a time that comes that seems hopeless. You won't get any light. You're try to get some light. You're like, okay, there's no sun. Well, at least there's a moon. Mm -mm, No moon. You know what? At least there's some stars out there. No stars, none of it will give you light. All darkness, all darkness. Maybe there's times in life that feel like that. It's all dark. There is no hope. But Jesus is saying, there is hope. And what does it tell us? Very interesting. Then they will see the son of man coming in clouds and great power and glory. Can I show you guys uh, the picture? Can we go back? Uh, to the picture I had at the beginning. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a picture that's very glorious. Do you notice something about this? Lots of light. You actually see stars there, right? It seems like the sun is at their back, right? But uh, let, let's go back to uh, the scripture, verse 24, right? Do you see any light here, friends? Is there any mention of light? I know cloud can be a symbol for the presence of God. It is used a lot in scripture. You remember when Jesus goes up onto the mountain and he gets transfigured there, right? Do you remember that? Uh, Peter, James, and John, they go with him and a cloud descends upon them and they experience the presence of God. They see Jesus, they see Elijah, and they see Moses. You remember that? Do you remember another time where clouds figure very prominently? In the story of Israel, When the people were wandering the desert and they had the Ark of the Covenant, they had the tabernacle and they were carrying it around and they would set up a little tent because they didn't have a permanent place to put it. And where, how would they experience the presence of God? By night, they would get fire. And by day, they would get a cloud. A cloud would follow them. It symbolizes the presence of God. But friends, maybe some of us, we think of the clouds, right? Like I, there's this, this song called um, The Days of Elijah. Um, it's a praise song that for whatever reason, it, it's a, it, an American praise song. Never that popular with Americans, but really popular with Koreans. Do you know it? It's like, behold, he comes riding on a cloud, right? And, and I don't know it in Korean. I don't know, maybe some of you can sing it, but like, man, you hear Koreans sing it and it's just a, behold, he comes riding on a cloud. Oh my gosh, it it feels so good, right? It feels so triumphant. It feels so upbeat, right? And we think of Jesus coming on a cloud and maybe you picture that first image I showed you, the shining light. It tells us there's no light here. When you see clouds, what do clouds do? They obscure light. There is no light. Here, that I can see. Maybe the clouds look like this. Maybe they're just dark. Friends, do you ever feel like you don't experience the presence of God because there's just darkness around you? they are like, mm, God's not here. God's not here. I talk about going to the park all the time. And I got to tell you, there's some days I would go out there I mean, it's Michigan. There's a lot of miserable looking days, right? I'm like, you know what? You know where I would feel the presence of God? San Diego, Hawaii. Oh my gosh, I would. the sun would be shining, glistening upon the waters. Oh my gosh, aren't the people in Hawaii and the West Coast in LA, aren't they more spiritual than us? Because you're just experiencing the presence of God all the time. And here I am freezing my butt off in Michigan. I got a coffee and I got my Bible And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at a lake. It's completely frozen. No signs of life. All life dead. It's all dead. And there's trees that are withered and is overcast. And I'm sitting out there, and it starts to gently sleet on my head. No presence of God in my mind. But what does it tell us? Jesus is coming in the clouds. In the clouds. That's the presence of God. Could it be... Jesus's way of saying, when you think there is darkness all around you, and when the clouds come rolling in, remember all that beautiful imagery that we have in the Bible, all these metaphors of the presence of God in the darkest moments. I'm not apart from that. I am coming. I am coming. I am your Savior. It, it, It talks about coming in great power and glory. And yes, there is this talk about these angels going out and gathering the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. You do see a great gathering of God's people. You do see Christians coming together in community. Whereas we used to think of ourselves as separate. Oh, we're Jewish. You're Gentiles. Mm, You're another category. You can't worship with us. Only the people like us, same skin color, same language, same culture. You are the ones who can worship with us. And Jesus says, no, I'm coming and I'm gathering everyone. I'm gathering them all. I want to bring you together. Is that a physical coming together? Is that symbolic? I don't know, but it's coming. And friends, so often in our lives, what I need more than that glorious, you know, maybe I, I think of an army. That's what the people wanted. They're like, Jesus, when are the armies going to come rolling in? He says, no armies, just the Son of God. Maybe some of those human messiahs promise an army. Oh, we're going to raise up an army. It's going to be great. We're going to overthrow these authorities. We're going to have the best army. We're going to have the best wall. We're going to have the best whatever. Mm, Friends, that will not save us. But what we need is the very presence of God. And it can be here. It can be in our midst. Friends, I recognize, not the cheeriest Mother's Day message, <laughs> I recognize that, but it is great, of great comfort to me to know that no matter what dark times I go through, Jesus is a part of that. He is a part of that. No matter what you are going through, God is there. I think I mentioned this before. This is a quote from Thomas Keating. It bears repeating. It's a beautiful quote. The greatest problems in life come from living as if God is not there. As if God isn't a part of that. Maybe we think, "Mm, we just need to clear these clouds out. Oh man, if the clouds would part, then we can experience the presence of God. Mm, If we can just fix some of this violence, some of these horrible things that, that, that are here on earth, then God will come. Make no mistake, friends, God doesn't want those horrible things to happen. He's like, woe is to those people who go through that. I mean, it's horrible. Definitely, if you can be safe, be safe. Like, go run away from the fighting, right? It says, go hide in the mountains, right? You know, Jesus isn't saying, like, just sit there and like, ah, you know, while the armies are coming, go hide, right? Definitely, go hide, don't die, right? But make no mistake, I am coming. It's not going to always be with the light. It's going to sometimes be in the dark. Praise team, can you guys come up? Let's just take a moment, friends. Are you waiting for something to get better in your life? Oh, actually, we're going to do communion, yeah? Oh, sorry. (laughs) I got ahead of myself. Yeah, maybe we're waiting for something better, but God is here. When we do the communion, I know it feels like we are just recreating this event. It feels like this dead thing. But friends, God is present even here in the breaking of this bread and the giving of this cup. Ushers, can you come up for the communion, please?